0: Hey everybody. So today we have my dear friend Jonathan. Now if you don't know who Jonathan is, I highly recommend you go and Google search him up right now. Jonathan is the CEO and founder of a company called Squarefoot. And we are very I am very excited to have him here with us today to go jump into the story and learn all about Squarefoot and learn about Jonathan's personal journey. So Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. So Jonathan, let's take a step back. You know, all the way to little Jonathan. Before Square Foot, before JLL, before New York, before everything like that, where are you from and what was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah, so I I grew up in Houston. Uh, Good upbringing, Uh, (laughs) great family, Uh, love my parents. there, neither of them are from Houston Ridgely. Uh, both of them actually grew up here in New York. I have a little brother uh, who also wound up in New York, so my mom likes to say that she and my dad are uh, New Yorkers who uh, live in Texas, and Eric and I are Texans who live in New York. Uh, so yeah, I uh, grew up in Houston. A uh, little brother to Jeremy, like I said, also lives up here now. Um, yeah, it was great. I love Houston. I think it's a great place to grow up. Uh, I like having space. I like good food, nice people, and uh, especially today as the weather starts to dip. I really
0: like warm weather. I totally feel it. It's a freezing day. So when you're like walking down the street, you know, you see people interact with people. How do you compare the people from Houston to New Yorkers? Um, people down there are nicer.
1: Uh, <laughs> not, not nice here, but they just are nicer down there. It's funny. So um, like I said, my parents both grew up here. So as a kid, uh, my brother and I used to come up here to visit our grandparents. And um, I don't remember this so guy's like five at the time, but my mom tells us the story that when we were crossing the street, like went to go see a show on Broadway or something, and we were crossing the street, and um, I made the observation to her that people just walk through you. Here. Uh, and now I'm one of those people that that are walking through through tourists on the street, so uh, I've come full circle. So
0: we could practically label you a New Yorker now. So welcome to the club. We're getting close to it, I think. <laughs> You know what they say, when you're not somewhere, if you're not in Houston, you have to bring Houston here. So you have to make New York Houston. That's what you need to do. Yeah. So the, the doormat in our apartment, is uh,
1: it says a picture of Texas, and, or like an outline of Texas, and it says home. So my yeah. wife's stuck with that now.
0: <laughs> so you're from Houston. You grew up in a beautiful neighborhood. You know, New York was a dream of yours, I'm assuming, from a little kid, always to move here, somewhat. And then- and- <laughs> so you go there. What walk me through your journey of you know going through college, going through high school, you know, and then going to JLL, and eventually we'll get to you know the big crazy idea you had square foot and, and start and going on the entrepreneurship journey. Yep. So, yeah, so yes, I grew up in Houston, right? Uh, landed
1: for college at Emory, moved to DC uh, after school, and I graduated in 2005. Uh, most of my time in, in DC. Uh, was, yeah, working at JLL doing capital markets work. Uh, D.C. was great. Um, really liked it. Never been a goal of mine to live there for my entire life. Um, also, after college, I had, to your point, I had actually zero interest in living in New York. Uh, so, story for another day. Um, mainly because, actually, you know, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time when I was a kid here, and that was either in the summer or the winter. So, it's either really hot or really cold. And my mom grew up on the other side. That's where my grandma still lived, this is Lower East Side 30 years ago. It was not like the Lower East Side now. Uh, and then when you weren't there, you were in deep Brooklyn where my dad grew up. and they weren't there, you were, uh Broadway and Times Square, which none of Broadway and Times Square is still a place I don't try and spend much time on. And again, 30 years ago, also not. So when I was graduating college, I, was, I had no idea why anybody wanted to live in New York. But anyway, after living in D.C. and um, I was at JLL, I spent a bunch of time up here for work. But okay i guess i can see why somebody in their 20s and 30s would want to live here so when it came time to apply to business school uh columbia was my first choice and that's what brought me up here originally.
0: wow and you got to accept- i'm assuming you got accepted the first try they let me in that's all that matters <laughs> so you know how has your previous work experience you know before we get into how where the idea from SquareFoot came, and why even jump into the entrepreneurship journey? You know, looking back in hindsight, working for a big a, a corporate company like JLL, how has that helped you um, form your company now and run your company? Uh, I mean, JLL was great.
1: I mean, for me, that was my first job in real estate, um, so I got to learn a lot about the industry. I had a great boss and mentor who um, taught me a lot, um, both about real estate and just like kind of being a young professional. I mean, is 25 years old than I am, but just kind of how to operate in society. Um, and then, yeah, JL is a great company, and I was able to see uh, both how great a company works and operates in the real estate space, and also um, because of the specific role I had doing uh, capital markets, I was able to uh, touch a whole bunch of other um, service lines. So I got to see what leasing looked like. I got to see what um, development looked like got to see what um, whatever else looked like. Uh, so you got to, for me, it was great. You know, if you work at a smaller shop, you might just do capital markets. They don't do leasing. You might just do leasing. You don't do capital markets. So I didn't do any leasing deals when I was there, but I got to see it. Uh, and again, this gets back to my boss having been a really good boss and mentor. For first start, I said, you know, I'm interested in how all this stuff works. Um, and he set me up with his buddies in the other group so I could shadow them for a couple of days at a time when he was out of town. Um, so that was how I got to kind of see, touch, and feel a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, it was a very great introduction to, to the industry.
0: Right. And you know, what you just mentioned over there is such an important thing, and I've actually heard that quite a few times already from a few other people. Is that essentially what you did was you showed up, you got a seat at the table. You know, you wanted to learn about the other stuff, so you got connected a few other people in other categories, and and that way give you exposure to multiple things that you have. To wide, vast experience. That's incredible. Yeah. So after, jail, you know, so you're in JLL and then one day, I'm assuming you woke up, and you're like, you know what, I'm getting bored. Let me jump into entrepreneurship, because I need some excitement in my life. So, you know, first of all, have you ever even thought of becoming an entrepreneur? So, um, you know, I left JL to go to business
1: school, and then while I was in business school is when we started thinking and working on Square Foot. Uh, so I actually never had to make this like, holy shit, choose my language, I got to go quit my job and then, you know, jump off a cliff and start this company, uh, which is good. It means I didn't have to have the uh, uh, kind of guts or intestinal fortitude to, to like say, great, I have this great job and I can just see what the next three or five or 30 years look like and I just kind of stay on this path and I'll be something. Um, you know, I started working on Square Foot uh, while I was in school and then by the time I graduated... Uh there's enough meat on the bone to say, great, let's give the six months and see uh, what we can do. And then that was seven and a half years later. We're here today.
0: Wow. So what did the idea of Square for coming about then?
1: Uh, so yeah, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, who was looking for space for his last company. Mm-hmm. He'd gone online trying to do that. Can't find office space online. So my phone rings off and how the hell do I do this? And uh, after a couple of those conversations, we saw that there was a whole bunch of pain points that um, businesses have, growing companies have, as it relates to finding, transacting, and occupying real estate. So set out with Squarefoot to fix all of those.
0: Right. So now, Squarefoot's seven years old. Now, you raised $29 million to date. You're 50-plus employees. But I want to know about the early days at Squarefoot. Now, the emotional trauma. The days that you wake up and you're like, holy shit, are we going to be in business tomorrow or not? Are we, you know, the, 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 when your stomach is turning over, you know, in the first few days that you're not sure what you're doing or how you're going to do it. Talk me, walk, talk me through the, some of the early struggles that you went through. I mean, all those words you said are still true now. <laughs>
1: uh, it's still stomach turning, you're still worried, not about whether or not we'll be in business tomorrow, but what the business looks like and, you know, thankfully we just close this new round of financing. Um, but now just like when you get in charge, uh, you have a whole bunch of, um, kind of goals and expectations for yourself. And that's really fun to go try and uh, kind of tackle. The, the, my job changes every like six to nine months, right? So i been CEO from, from whenever eight years ago now, seven years ago now, but what that looks like at three people, it's really different now from 60 people. Um. So it's really no less stressful, no less emotionally trying. Um, just the things that are stressful in every given day are, are different. Um, when we're first getting started, you're a lot, you're stressed about like product market fit, right? So we have this idea, we we'll start talking to landlords, start talking to tenants, start talking to some investors, and seeing you know if there's a there there. Now I don't worry about product market fit. I worry about kind of scaling, right? which is a very different set of challenges. So the early days, you're like, no, we have this idea in my parents' attic. Is anybody interested other than us in the ad?
0: Right. So you just mentioned something interesting. You know, your job changes every six to nine months, and you know you came from three CEO from three people to fifty people. As a first-time founder, your own personal development—you know—to become the CEO, of the are now obviously has scaled together with the company. So walk me through some of the lessons you learned early on, and you continue to learn as you scale. You personally?
1: Yeah, um, I have a couple of things, right? So one is um, communication. Communication looks really different, and we've had to change my communication style and cadence and everything as you go from you know if there's five people, you're at like one pot of desks, and everybody knows everything, both personally, professionally, and you know you're talking to your mom, your girlfriend, everybody knows, which is fine. You know everything, right? You don't have to worry about, like, who's thinking about what and how you communicate because everybody's kind of in the same room. You get to 50 people, and on the way 15 or 25. um, You know, if you're five people and you're not talking to everybody for 30 minutes a day, you're kind of an asshole. Uh, If by the time you're 50 people, if I'm talking to everybody for 30 minutes a month, that's a week of work. Um, So you have to then figure out the best – ways and something that's still work in progress for us but you have to figure out the best ways to communicate uh you know what's going through my head you know how are we doing what are our plans uh how are we doing against those plans what do we want to be in six months and six years um and you can, again do as I say now that I do I think well I know that you have to kind of over communicate that because it's all these things I just said are things I think about all day and some portion of every day I'm talking to some people about some of it But some random broker, some random person on the tech team, some random person on the marketing team who I'm not interacting with on a very frequent basis, how do we make sure that they know everything that I'm thinking? So that's one. And then two, which is, um, it sounds so obvious and stupid after the fact, um, but I guess they say about common sense, it's not that common, is just how important the team is. Not how important a team is, right? That's clearly, like, important, but the particular people you have on a team. And the difference between um, you know an A player and a B player, mm-hmm. and knock on wood, we are mostly A players now. Um, but even more, uh, uh, kind of nine days, even from an A or B, is what an A or A plus looks like. Right. We have a handful of A pluses, and those are like very hard to come by, few and far between. Um, and thankfully, we've got a bunch of those now. And if the amount of the amount and the quality of what you're able to accomplish as an organization um, increases exponentially
0: if you get those people the right. table. So communication and team.
1: Yeah, I guess
0: right. I could have said that. Right. <laughs> so as we, let's take the team, for example, and I will start off, because I think, and I'd love to get your opinion and your viewpoint on this, it seems like they both interconnected each other. Because in order to have it built a great cult, culture, it comes from communication and team. Essentially, how did you scale the culture at SquareFoot, and you know from your viewpoint as a ceo of a 50 person plus company constantly growing you know when did you see the culture start how do you scale it up how do you build it how to go about that process
1: um so you know as you grow as we grow um we spend progressively less time interviewing more people right when we were 20 people everybody who we were hired i spent time with as part of the interview process um, we probably hired 15 people in the last four months as we were going through finance, and I wasn't meeting all of them, and that's fine, um, but the really important thing in the way you're able to scale culture, scale organization, is making sure that the people that I have kind of direct influence on, uh, kind of my leadership team, my executive team, are uh, best in class, right, and if I make sure that they're better than me at everything, and they are that would just be on a relative basis, good, but also on an absolute basis, very good. Uh, then it trickles down one level below. And if they're awesome, then they're gonna hire awesome people too. Um I have a pretty senior guy who just started who will be announced in a few weeks. Um, and he said um he's been with us for about a week now, and he said that you know, before he started here, he had met a handful of us and he was pretty impressed. Now that he's met two dozen people, he's continually impressed continually impressed by it, and his comment was, um, he's like a 30-year executive, uh, his comment was, um, you know, B players hire C players, and A players hire A players, right. and we've done a very good job of the A player, of not to pat ourselves too much on the back, I've done a good job of hiring A players around me, and then the A players around me hire A players around them, and hopefully that cascades down in a very, uh, very beneficial way.
0: Right, and that's a testament to what you have built. You and your co-founders have built and going about, you know, the hiring process, the culture, and everything, which is absolutely incredible. You know, which makes me think that you guys are one of the early pioneers in the so-called prop tech world. You know, you've been around seven years before most of the companies that are similar to yours or any other type of prop tech company have been around. You know, as you grow now, seven years later, you know, what is your moat? You think that you have to. How important is the moat, and how what is yours in a sense to order to differentiate yourself from all the current competitors that are popping up on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, Proptech wasn't even a word when we started.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Still not sure what it means. <laughs> um so I mean look, there's first off, it's a massive, massive industry. Real estate in general, uh, and also even like the part of the world where we try and play with both brokerage services and flexible space often. So you know. There are a bunch of things that differentiate us and make ourselves unique but at the end of the day. Some of our DCs don't like hearing it, but this isn't a winner-take-all market. Uh, if it was, then somebody would be a there several times. The market's just too big and too fragmented for that to be the case, which is all fine. The things that make us special, uh, a lot of process stuff, and the fact that, more important than that, we've been able to, um, all under one roof, have a bunch of things that growing companies want, which is access to inventory, transparency, uh, help with the leasing process, that's transaction management, that's our brokers, Uh, and then third, a couple of flexible space offerings with flex by square foot as well as pivot desk, and having all of those um, under one roof, kind of one um, cohesive service offering, uh, helps our clients win every day in their real estate.
0: Wow. So, and you just, you mentioned now, you know, you've raised a nice amount of money from your VCs this week. You know, it's been announced you've raised $16 million, which brings you $29 million a day. You know, so first of all, how does that make you feel? Oh. Yes. It's a Nice amount of money to bake. Yeah, it's enough. it means I have a job tomorrow. It's okay. So what, what practical advice do you give for someone else going on the fundraising journey? You know, as you know, the fundraising journey can take you away from your team. It takes up all your time. It's a long process. What have you found that's good to know?
1: So uh, one of our board members said this a few years ago. We were going through one of our earlier processes. Um, this gets back to the team comment, which is, he says, "I hope you have some good people minding the shop because you're not going to be the shop." And it's really true, right? So, sales is really strong, CFO is really strong, really strong COO, just by our VP of people. Um, our leadership team is strong enough uh, that I can. Not be in the office for a couple hours, not be in the office for a couple days, uh, and not have to worry about, holy shit, uh, something to be on fire when I get back. Um, which, because your point, right? Uh, um, finance is a very stressful process. It's stressful enough just going through that process, much less also having to think about, holy crap, what's going on back at HQ. So having that team around, um that can support you both kind of like emotionally through that that journey um but also uh, make sure that the kind of wheels on the bus keep spinning while you're going out to fundraise um and that's important then too uh, you have to recognize uh, that you're going to hear no a whole hell of a lot more than you hear yes and that's fine that's good um some people maybe only hear yes good for them but that's not how most financing processes work so you have to go in uh Kind of with a stiff upper lip and be ready for that. And those, you know, they're never fun, but it's part of the process. And if you don't recognize that, it'll make for a much uh, less enjoyable process.
0: So, you know, two questions about that. We start with the first one: How receiving the answer "no" plenty of times. You know, how did you build up that emotional resilience in order to handle it? I you know from being a single guy in New York before that. <laughs> Which makes me ask, how'd you find your wife? hinge. <laughs> sure. So you go back to constantly mentioning team and it's incredible to hear how much of such a big emphasis you place on your success, on the success of the company and the team. And you know, from my understanding, you make it a point to sit in middle of the pack. You know, it's not a corner office, it's a taking a desk, sitting in the middle of the whole entire pack, you know, which gives you the ability to interact with everyone over there. You know, why did you come about that? You know, the reason you want, I mean, we obviously understand, but where did your origination come from? Um, I mean,
1: I think, you know, when I was at JLL, they, a, they redid the offices while I was there and they went from, you know, everybody having their own office, uh, not juniors, but like all the senior people to a kind of open floor plan. And it just, it, it um, um, it facilitates uh, and encourages a type of conversation that you're not going to have otherwise. So that's probably where I first saw. And then going back, I don't know when I, sometime maybe during business school, I got a tour of um, where, uh, where uh, what's it called uh, city hall. And this was during the Bloomberg administration. And somebody made a point to point out that, um, you know, here's his office or here's his desk. It's in the middle of everything. Um, and I, he took that over. I never spent any time in finance, but he spent a bunch of time in an earlier career in finance, obviously. And he took that over from, uh, the bullpen model after kind of the wall street trading force. And for these, all those, that, that's where I saw it. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, that makes a ton of sense. Like you get to be in the information flowing way that you can't be if you're, uh, kind of cooped up in some office somewhere. Um, So that's kind of the genesis of the idea and it's played out really well. I like it a lot.
0: Amazing. Now, so what do you wish that someone would have told you before you began your entrepreneurship journey? Going through it? Uh, I think actually, in all
1: honesty, getting, just knowing a lot more, uh, eyes wide open into what I was getting myself into. I mean, I love what I do. I love what we're building. Um, I have a lot of fun. It's really challenging. Um, but I don't think I had any idea what I was getting myself into um, and that's why when I talk to people maybe to me now, I'm going to go start a company I say okay that's what you want And I, I say you have to be stupid or passionate uh, because if you're passionate about what you're doing then uh, you know everything they say about the roller coasters and the building the plane while jumping off a cliff sorry jumping off a cliff uh, Trying to build a plane on the way down, like all those adages are, are pretty damn accurate. Um, so that stupid or passion thing—if you're passionate about what you're doing, then the, the lows won't be that bad. The highs will be amazing. But if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then the lows are real, real bad, um, and makes it really hard to go on. You see a lot of people who like don't complete the journey because uh, of that, right? So. If you're passionate about what you're doing. Great. If not, you're stupid. If you're just like, "Oh, it sounds cool to start a startup," star. because it's not that cool.
0: I totally you that the emotional the, you know, the emotional struggle you go through on the bad days. It's not worth it. So when you go through those days, you know, what do you do you to pick yourself up when you wake up in the morning? You're like, wait, you know, square foot. You're going through a hard time. You weren't able to raise money. God forbid, but thank God you did, or something else. What do you do to pick yourself up?
1: And there's two things. Not, you know, on any given Sunday night when you go to sleep, you know that sometime in the next five days, uh, something horrible is going to happen. And also sometime in the next five days, something amazing is going to happen. On any given Sunday when you go to sleep, take a guess what really good thing might happen next week, and you can take a guess what really bad thing might happen. But the important thing is recognizing that in any given week, something really good is going to happen, something really bad is going to
0: happen. Right? And,
1: and kind of in life like expectation set is really important right so if you're um, expecting that it doesn't hurt as much it doesn't like completely remove the pain um, but knowing that it's part of the process makes it a whole lot more palatable so okay. the uh, analogy I've started using it's the difference between uh, boxing and playing tennis okay right? you're boxing uh, you're expecting to get hit in the face mm-hmm. oh we lie. Get hit in the face, but at least when the boxer gets in the ring, um, he's not surprised when he gets hit in the face. Right. And you contrast that to the tennis player, the tennis player goes on on the court, the tennis player is not expecting to get hit in the face. The tennis player gets hit in the face, he's very unhappy. Right. So um, this is more like boxing. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to dodge all the punches, you're not gonna be surprised when the punch lands though. Mm-hmm. And as you move on, uh, you get better at dodging punches and you get better at
0: uh, kind of accepting them
1: when they come because they're inevitable
0: I, I'm going, definitely going to use the analogy I love it that's great <laughs> absolutely great And you know you hope eventually that it w- you know the startup will become a play a tennis field but it's a dream I, would, I wouldn't bet on it yeah. <laughs> so what are some non-obvious habits that have made you grow. Um,
1: I'm not that smart. Everything I do is obvious. <laughs> uh, look, it's always asking for help when you need it. It's always asking for feedback. After every board meeting, I text all of, everybody who's in the board meeting and said, uh, how do I do What can I do better? Uh, I'm constantly asking for feedback from the folks around me on the leadership team the company more broadly. Um, look, it's my first time doing all this. And, um, how am I supposed to be able to get better if nobody's telling me what I'm doing wrong? So it's constantly asking for that feedback and hopefully being able to internalize it and uh, get better over time.
0: Right. So constantly asking for that feedback is such a great thing and being able to accept the feedback and act upon it. Which, you know, so how important are mentors in your life? Uh, very, yeah, I mean, I think, in, in mentors come in all different
1: shapes and sizes, right? So like our COO, in some ways he's a mentor, right? He's about my age, but. He's done, uh, before he started here, he did a whole bunch of stuff that I hadn't done, like in, 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 um, in startups. so um, that's been great. Um, on the other side, you have a whole bunch of, uh, some of our investors or some of the most real, uh, some of the most senior real estate people in the country. Um, those guys are great to have around the table. Um, you know, I like to say, I like learning from mistakes. I don't mind learning from mistakes and making those mistakes. The only thing better than learning from my mistakes is learning from other people's mistakes. Hmm. Um, and mentors uh, kind of help you see around those corners that you don't even know about.
0: Right. 100%. Couldn't agree more. So, Jonathan, let's imagine Jonathan, you know, graduating college, um, coming out of Columbia. He has a whole world in front of him. You know, he could go be a barista in Starbucks, move back to Houston and, you know, play for the Cowboys, or he could start, you know, square foot. What message would you tell your younger self? Um,
1: that's an interesting question, right? Because when I, um, where somebody winds up, I believe, you know, it's all kind of iterative and there's not this like predestined path. Um, so it's kind of you know, with an eye towards where you want to go in the future, um, be making those interim steps, but don't get too held up on what each of those steps is, are. right. So when I graduated college, I did economic consulting for a couple of years. Exactly the job I wanted. It was great. I liked it. And then I was like, okay, let's go into real estate. I got that job at JLL, exactly what I wanted at the time. Um, but none of it was like to a view to, okay, when I'm 36, I'll have a startup with 60 people. Right. Um, and you kind of keep learning on that path. Um, about what you want to do. It doesn't matter Like what you want to do in 10 years. Because by the way, what you'd ask me, I actually have no idea. When I was 25, I said, like, what do you want to do 10 years from now? I don't know what I have would say. Um, and by the way, if I say what I want to be 10 years from now, I don't know if um, you ask me 10 years from now if that's the same thing. So I think it's important to be thinking about the future, but focused on the present.
0: That's 100. So what is one thing you do in order to make sure that your goals, um, sorry, they're constantly in line? Um, you know, thinking about the future, you know, you can't predict, but putting the process in place, you know, it could be for a company, for personal development, personal growth, and, you know, especially related to the company.
1: Um, I think it's, it's having that kind of long-term vision of where you want to go. And then popping up into smaller pieces and saying, great, this is what we're going to do in the next three months, in the next six months, in the next year. Right. Um, That's personal growth perspective or company growth perspective. That North Star doesn't change very much year to year. Um, but the interim steps to get closer to that North Star often do.
0: Right. 100%. Jonathan, I have learned so much from this interview, you know, a ton. Um, and it goes without saying. Anything, any way it could be of service to you or to SquareFoot, never hesitate to reach out. And yeah. uh, space, send them way. <laughs> for sure. And I cannot wait to see you know what happens. You know, raising you know 29 million 50 plus people. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk in a few months from now. It's going to be hopefully 75 million and 250 people. And on and on. In your lips to God's ears. Amen. You know, and I'm for sure, not even a doubt, so many people are going to benefit from hearing about your journey, your story and taking lessons and applying it to their own life. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime.